Father, thank you for that last song, especially that we have sung for, it really captures the theme of the message today. And Lord, I, I do ask that, that you would help each of us, adults and children, visitors, those maybe listening online, to really ask for help because we need your Holy Spirit not just to speak the truth here, but to hear it, to listen to it, to understand it, to have our eyes open to it, and then we need your grace to put it into practice. We really do. And Lord, we, we want to, as a church, as a people, we want to get the big picture. We want to see your purposes and your plans and to, and to really tune our hearts, tune our hearts first and foremost by that melodic line of what you are doing and in the as the song said in the establishment of your purposes and your kingdom and we're, we're thankful for uh, being called into your kingdom out of darkness and into light from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son our lord jesus christ we ask that he would be glorified here for it's he who speaks these words in luke 11 Attune our heart to hear these words and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table to follow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some passage, passages of Scripture are well known. Uh, you may see them behind the, uh, at football games in the, in the stadium like John 3.16. They're well known by almost all people, even all around the world, um, whether they would profess to believe in Jesus or not. And this morning we come to such a passage that has been uh, entitled throughout church history as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, throughout church history from the time of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension and establishment of the church for over 2,000 years, this prayer has been memorized and recited and spoken in gatherings of the church, studied, preached upon, written about, perhaps more than any other passage of Scripture. The best scholars and theologians in the history of church have really sp spent millions and millions of hours devoted to the study of these verses. Uh, Origen, Tertullian, Cyril, Cyprian, Luther, all of them have written and written <laughs> on what we would call the Lord's Prayer. And so because of this, we're going to slow down and we're going to take this request by request over the next few weeks. And then we're going to see the heart for prayer in the parable of prayer after that. But I want you to see as we begin, and if you're new here or perhaps you didn't listen to last week, you really need to get that sermon because they had the principles that we kind of need to, to hold close uh, before we come into the Lord's Prayer. So listen to that if you haven't been able to. But I, but I want you to know at the very beginning, Jesus is responding to His disciples and their genuine, heartfelt request, Lord, we don't know how. We're terrible. Lord, teach us to pray. He's responding to their request. And I think we can all from last week say, Amen, we need help, right, with our prayer lives. And we would say the same. Every true Christian says the same, Oh Lord, teach us to pray. And when Jesus opens up his lips to answer that request, I want you to notice that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go into the how to pray. 
Now, admittedly, he does that in other passages in the New Testament, the how to pray, and maybe there's some you know, examples about the how to pray, maybe short prayers or don't, you know, not repetitive or you know, all of that. It, but this, this is not okay. You, you get on your knees and you, you get up at five and there's nothing about the how to pray. He's not talking about holding your hands or, or kneeling or standing. I mean, all of those can be found in examples of that in God's Word. Jesus doesn't answer their question about, uh, uh, about teach us to pray with the how of prayer. He doesn't. Jesus is more concerned about the what of prayer. The what of prayer. What do we pray? He's concerned about the petitions, the requests that we bring to our Father in prayer. And again, you really needed to be here the last time because let me just tell you, and I'm just going to have to pause and say this. Yes, he's concerned about the what of prayer, but he's assuming something. This prayer is for Christians. This prayer is for disciples of Christ. This prayer is for those, whether you're kids or you're adults or you're somewhere uh, about to have one foot in the grave or somewhere in between. This is for, for individuals, people, who can say to the God of the universe, Father, my Father. This is a prayer. This whole series is for those who have been adopted into the family of God by no works of your own. I mean, what baby, who, what, what person who's been adopted here today can take credit for that when they were a little baby, when that family put their love upon you and, and pulled you out of maybe a difficult and dark situation and pulled you into their loving family and sit you down and calls you son or daughter and you are and that forever. And will love you with an everlasting love. The unconditional love. Yes, you might have to discipline your children, but you love them that way and it will never end. Can you call God Father? If not, this is just something you might have recited when you grew up. Or you heard your parents recite at church. Or you've memorized because you were forced to at some point. Or something like that. But I would just plead with you. Do you know God. Do you know Him as your Abba? As your Daddy? As your Father? And I would say that, listen carefully today because there will be some hints on how that can happen. And it simply is this. When you have come to the place to recognize that you were in the kingdom of darkness, in your sin, wallowing in your blood and in need and helpless and hopeless. And God Himself came to you and reached down. You couldn't help Him. And He, you, and he grabbed hold of you and brought you into His home. If that has happened to you and you've seen yourself as, as a needy sinner and needing God to adopt you, needing Him to cleanse you and to put, you, put a robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ around you, if you knew you needed that and, and you've come to Him, then you can call God your Father. And this prayer is for you. But if not, that's the first thing. We've got to get that right. So when we say, Lord, teach us to pray, we're, we're speaking as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So let's read it in Luke chapter 11. Take your Bibles if you're not there yet. Turn to Luke chapter 11. And let's read verses 1 through 4. This is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Verse 1, And it, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught His disciples. And He said to them, When you pray, say, and here it is, Father, that's where it starts. Father. 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Verse 2, two requests. Verse 3, one request. The first half of verse 4, another request. And then the last half of verse 4, a final request. There are five prayer requests in this prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer, isn't it? It's our prayer. Two of these requests, the first two, I thought I would cover two today. I changed my mind at five in the morning. We'll cover the first. The first two requests are for the glory of God. The last three requests are for the good of His children. Which comes first? The glory of God informs what we ought to pray for our own good. So keep that in mind as we go through this. And we'll remind of that over and over again. I dare say we don't understand this first, this first request. We, including me, Lord, help us as we scratch the surface of a little bit of what this first request means. Are you ready? The first request, you have a bulletin insert, is that God's name would be set apart. That God's name would be set apart. And next week we'll come to the second request. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, teach us to pray. Here's how you do it. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, in our culture, naming stuff is not like it was in the ancient Near East. I mean, we name our stuffed animals. Um, I was just listening to a sermon yesterday. We name our dogs, you know, Henry III and some just amazing, our cats, they get names. And, you know, we think about their names for a week. We name our children. But typically in our culture, we name our children, you know, cool names or names that have a ring to it. Some of us, you know, maybe uh, have named our children um, after a relative or maybe even a friend or maybe we had this one of the little books you can buy in the Christian bookstores that have, you know, we kind of peruse through that. You know, that's pretty... So my, do- my granddaughter's name is Elsie, which happens to be my grandmother's name. And so there's a special connection. So names in our culture don't mean as much as they did in the ancient Near East when Jesus was speaking. Naming People's names meant something in that day. When, when a mom or dad named a child, they named a child in hope. In the, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that this child would become and be in identity the very name that they were given. The name was, a name was wrapped up in who you were and in that, in case of a child, who you hoped that they would become. It was a part of your identity. Your name was supposed to reflect your character. Your name was supposed to... Reflect your nature, who you are, what you are like. And, and, and even in that culture, if things got real good for you, or someone wanted to change your identity, or change your future, they'd change your name. Simon. You'll no longer 
will we call you Simon? But Peter, and on this rock, Petros, I will build my... See? I mean, you get the idea of the change of a name even in that culture. Somehow, an essence or representation of the nature of the person. And so, the name of God, a representation in the Word of God of who He is and what He is like, so we should think about this when we think about God. I mean, we think about the self-revelation of God in the burning bush to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Do you remember that? Who, do, who, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. He's I am. He just is is. That's the very nature of God, the very essence of God. He just is. There's no beginning. There's no end. He's outside of time. He's not defined by our reality. He's the one that defines reality itself. I am that I am. It tells us something about the name of God. It tells us something about our character. And again, Alistair Begg in a sermon I was listening to was so right on. Our little idols, right, that we erect our money and our people-pleasing and our stuff and our reputation and maybe a block of wood if you were in the gladiator days or all of that, put it in a wheelbarrow, label on the wheelbarrow, I am not. But God, who He is, is I am that I am. John MacArthur drives this point home. He lifts up, in his commentary, lifts up all the names of God, descriptive names used in the Old Testament. I'll give you just a few that declare who God is by His name. Elohim. The plural name of the triune God. The Creator God. Elohim. El Elyon. God Most High. Emphasizing the sovereignty of God. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the God who brings peace. Jehovah Roy, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, we're supposed to know some of this stuff about the idea of name. He's talking about God Himself. The attributes of God. God Himself being hallowed. The attributes of God being hallowed. Who He is and what He is like and what He has done. As one theologian said well, quotes, the name of God then is the sum of all the attributes and works of God. End quotes. And it's not just who He is and, and what He is like, the name of God, but it's his, there's, there's a sense in which it's not just the character, but it's the reputation. Your, and this one we kind of get. We don't want to drag your name through the mud. That's wreck your reputation. Well, that's part of the biblical witness of the word name as well. And so there's something about the name of God that is his renown, that is his reputation on this earth and among the peoples. So this is what we are to think about the word name. So as Psalm 138 verse 2 says, I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Or Psalm 34 verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. We're really saying exalting God and everything about who He is and what He has done, His very attributes, His very essence. We are to take, and, and we, we're, we're, we're wanting that to be put up and held up and be glorified and, and be held in esteem and honored His reputation among the earth. And that helps us a little bit with what the word hallowed means. We're starting to get it probably. You know, it's hard because we have, you know, Halloween and we have these kind of different ways that that word has used. And it's really an old word and we're not sure what it means. So we're not sure what the very first prayer request is. 
because of that. Hallowed. The old King James word. Made it into the other translations too. Hallowed. What does it mean? Well, it's the word for holy. It's the word for holy. Holy. Father. Holy. Let holy be your name. Okay? This is a prayer request that we pray. This is not a declaration about God in worship. This is not, holy is the Lord. That's true. We can do that. This is not what is happening in this passage. This is a prayer request to God. Let be holy be your name. Father, holy be your name. It's a prayer request. And it's actually a passive verb. It's actually a request to God, but it's a passive verb. So strange, you can't translate it. God Himself has to answer the request. So you pray to Him that His name would be hallowed. Who He is. What He has done, that it would be holy. So what does that mean? So we can't be saying this, Father, holy be Your name. I pray that You would be sinless and holy, set apart from sin. Uh, know that there would be no dark. We're not praying to that end. That, that's who God is, light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. We are not praying for the sinlessness of God. Amen? Okay. Oh boy, here we go. Hang with me. We're not praying for that. There is another, I think, more fundamental idea about holiness. And you'll want to write this down. It's in your notes. It's to be set apart. To be set apart. To be perfectly distinct from everything outside of himself. To be set apart. To be completely other. How's that? To be completely other. And so we come to the very first prayer. Jesus says, oh, you want to be all good. You're asking about how to pray. Let me tell you, Father, you've got to have a relationship. The God of the universe. May your name be set apart. It's a prayer request. Will it be answered? You think God can get this one done? And yet we what? Pray for it. In fact, it's our number one prayer. It's the prayer request that makes sense of the second one, the third one, the fourth one, and the fifth one. It all hinges on our understanding of this. And yet we've got the word hallowed that throws us off from the very beginning. Everything is ordered. And so I scrapped the second prayer request. That'll be for next week. We've got to get this. How do we put this together then? And how does this apply to us? Well, I'm going to take some time and I want you to do this. I want you to grab your Bibles and I'm going to do a little bit of a... just just take you through some passages about God's name being set apart. Okay? Work with me here. This is going to be really fun. I want to hear pages turning. Okay, so the first one... Leviticus 20, verse 26 is a good verse for you to show that holiness means being set apart. So Leviticus 20, verse 26 says this. Leviticus 20, verse 26. Thus you are holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart from the people's to be mine. Right? We're His. He's our Father. We're His children. We've been set, and in that, we've been set apart. And that is what holiness means, being set apart. God is set apart, and so His people ought to be what? 
work with me, they've got to be set apart. We've got to be set apart. So flip over and just at least write the references down so you can study later. Leviticus 22, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus 22, 1 and 2. So a couple pages over, Moses says, uh, verse 1, sorry, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons, watch this, to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicated to me, so as not to profane my holy name, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Okay. So, what does it mean for God's name to be set apart? Maybe we could think about it from what it, the opposite of God's name being set apart. All right. You are praying that God's name would not be profaned among the nations. That God's name would not be profaned in this church. That God's name would not be profaned in your family and in your own life. That's what you are praying. What does that mean, you ask? Because it's an old word. If you profane something, you ready? You pollute it. You, you defile it. Uh, you desecrate it. You, you violate it. Father, may your character, your essence, your works not be defiled and desecrated among the nations and in our lives. And we can then go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, just to learn more about this. Setting a part of the name of God. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 just at least write the reference down, in the context of the curses and blessings of Israel, we read in verse 58, if you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, watch this, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses written to Israel, the blessings and the curses. So we learn that to set apart the name of God is connected to His reputation, as we mentioned. But it's reverence for who God is. It's honor for God. and, And make no mistake about it, to fear and honor the awesome name is connected to observing all the words of the law. It's a call for obedience to the Scriptures. This is what Jesus is praying for. When He says, Father, hallowed be Thy name, He's calling for us to pray for the obedience of the nations, for the obedience of His people. To set apart His name, and that He'd be honored, and His reputation would be put on display. It's our very first request. It puts some bones behind the glory of God. What does that mean, praying for the glory of God? This is what it means. His name would not be drugged through the mud. That's desecrated, right? That's the profaned. On the other hand, that there would be obedience and reverential fear and honor of this God. This is what Jesus is asking us to pray for. And this brings us to the prophet Isaiah in the in the context of the prophecies of judgment and blessing. If you'd like to, turn to Isaiah 29 and verse 23. Again, about Israel, judgment and blessing, similar to the curse and blessing in Deuteronomy, same idea. In Isaiah 29, verse 23, um, we're seeing God, uh, Israel is seeing God at work in fulfilling His promises and, and uh, they begin to praise they begin to praise God. They begin to hollow His name instead of doing what Israel did time and time again. And that is what? Profane His name among the nations. Here in this passage, they begin to praise. And this is what it looks like then to set apart the name of God. But when, verse 23, but when He sees His children, the work of My hands, because we're Father and Children, aren't we? We have that relationship with God. In His midst, they will 
sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify, what? The Holy One of Jacob. Because to sanctify His name is to sanctify God Himself, the Holy One. And what does that look like? Keep reading in verse 23. And they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in mind will know the truth. And those who criticize the word for grumble and complain will accept instruction. They'll stop bucking against God's Word. Stop criticizing and grumbling His providence. And they will accept His instruction. So the people of Israel, what does it look like to set apart the name of God? And we can take this passage to the bank for us because I don't care what your eschatology is, if you read Romans chapter 11, we as the people of God are grafted into the rich promises of the people of God in Israel. So this passage can be read for us and it applies to us. So how does it mean to set apart His name as holy? It means we stand in awe of God for who He is. Okay, that's just Christianese. What does that mean? We pray in the Lord's Prayer that we would put away errors in our mind, that we would, that some translations say, to put away a wayward spirit as part of the people of God, that we would put away criticism of God's Word and complaining and murmuring against the plan and the purposes of God. And we, and, and we put that away because the complaining and the grumbling profanes the name of God. Ask Israel in the wilderness what complaining did. So you want to put bones to this? When we grumble and we complain, we're, not, we're, not, we're, we're praying that we wouldn't grumble and complain when we get to this passage. This is the heart of the background of this request from Jesus. These Old Testament passages. So we go to Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Don't you like doing biblical theology? That's what we're doing. We're tracing this theme of setting apart the name throughout God's Word. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on high in a holy place. And also I, I dwell with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly. Watch that word revive. And to revive the heart of the contrite. And so our Father has made us poor in spirit. Isn't, isn't that what happened to us? He, we realized that we were broken. We realized that we we're sinful. We realized that we needed Jesus. His full forgiveness. His perfect righteousness. He's brought, he's, he dwells, the high God of the universe dwells with the, with the broken, with the helpless, with the hopeless, with the contrite and lowly of spirit. And so when we pray that His name would be hallowed among the nations. We're praying for the God of the universe to revive our hearts, to show us our sin, to humble us, to give us a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit. When we pray the first request, we are praying for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the bad news and the good news to go to the nations. We are praying for the Gospel to take root in our heart. Pride. If you are a proud Christian, that's an oxymoron. And you're, this is praying against pride. Submitting ourselves under God and His rule. So it's a right view of not only who God is, but who we are. And so I would say this, and maybe write this down to summarize what we've said thus far. By the way, how's the Lord's name doing being hallowed among the nations? How's the Lord's name doing being hallowed in our churches? Grumble, grumble, grumble. The pride of man is the enemy to the glory of God on this earth. We're praying against 
the pride of man. We're praying for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're praying for a broken and contrite spirit in our churches and our families and our nations, that we would have a right view of who we are, that we need God and the right view of who God is so that we might esteem Him rightly, set apart His name as holy. And that brings us to our scripture reading that Pastor Don read. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 23. Listen to these themes come together and watch for the word revive. Revive from the last passage. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 23. Let's start at verse 20. I'll go quickly. Verse 20 of Ezekiel 36. When they came to the nations where they went, they, look at that word, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of the land. But I had concern, God says, for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but, verse 22, for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For, verse 24, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will revive. Then I will sprinkle, verse 25, clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you... Oh, yeah, I will put my... Where was I? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so, God is going to vindicate His name among the nations when He fulfills His promises to Israel, and so all Israel shall be saved. Romans chapter 11, and brothers and sisters, in the meantime... They have been set aside so that we can be what? In our humility and brokenness, grafted into the rich and blessed spiritual promises of Israel. Wow, what a glorious gospel. So we can experience the spiritual aspects of this new covenant revival and a new heart in the forgiveness of sins in our Lord Jesus Christ. But God will not be mocked. God's name will be set apart in the world. God will fulfill these promises to Israel. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's not a new, an Old Testament passage. That is a New Testament passage. Romans chapter 11. And so all Israel will be saved. It's interesting to me that God answers this prayer by fulfilling His promises made in the Old Testament. And He does so. God does it. It's passive. God do it. And it's God who has to answer these prayers of His people. Primarily, this is a prayer. Are you ready? This is a prayer for the hearts of His people to continue to be softened. This is a prayer for the Gospel to go to the nations. That God would pour out the new covenant of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins upon the nations. To give them a new heart, a new spirit to love God, to reverence Him, to honor Him, to love Him as Daddy, to stop complaining, to put away a wayward spirit, to have understanding, to desire His glory, to pursue holiness. The heart of the first prayer request is for God to act on the hearts of men so that our eyes would be open to our sin, that we would be broken and contrite before Him, and that we would behold the glory of God in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise and the honor of His glory. 
This is none other than a pray for the spread of evangelism to the ends of the earth. This is a missionary prayer. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Famous passage, verses 5 and 6. Moses and God on the mountain. The two tablets having been broken are replaced. We'll pick it up. Verse 4, so he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. Verse 4 of Exodus 34. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two uh, stone tablets in his hand. Verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the what? he called upon the name of the Lord. Now watch this. Then, so what is the name of the Lord? It's who He is. It's what He is like. It takes a revived heart to see. Broken and contrite to see. How in the world the riddle of the Old Testament can be solved and who solves it forever for you? Listen, what is the name of the Lord? Verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, what? We're, yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That is the name of God that God declared. Here's my character. I am a compassionate God and I will forgive sin. I am a holy God and I will not forgive sin. Done. The name of God. Who He is. And the riddle of the Old Testament where the compassion of God and the justice of God kissed together is in God the Son taking upon flesh, dwelling among us, living a perfect life in our place, and then going to the cross of Calvary, and in six hours, bearing in His own body the white-hot wrath of God for all of our sin in our place, taking our sin away, Experiencing in his own body the eternal punishment of sin in six hours because he was God and he could finish it in six hours. And he did that for you and he did that for me. He lived our righteousness. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And he is our great lamb, our great Passover lamb. And if the blood of Jesus is spread over the doorposts of your heart, if your heart is softened and revived and broken before God to see this, then this prayer request has been answered for you. That, that God has been set apart in your heart as holy as your Father and the Holy God who has paid for your sins and given you His perfections. And so we pray, oh Lord, be glorified among the nations. Send missionaries to the nations. Make them to proclaim this Gospel. Oh Father, make people soften their hearts to believe. Put a Gospel flag in that city. Put a Gospel flag in that nation. Bless Pastor Dan with Equipping Leaders International. Help us in Sierra Leone. Help us in Tanzania. Help us at Grace Community Bible Church. Lord, forgive us for our idols. 
Forgive us that we, don't, that we drag Your name through the mud with our sin. Oh Lord, I don't like my sin. May You hallow Your name in my life. May my words, shame on us for our words in this dark and dying world, dragging the name of Christ with our actions and our words dragging His name, profaning His name among the nations. This is a prayer that we wouldn't do that. This is a prayer that we would, that we would set apart our own lives and our own families and this church family to be a light in this community. It's a prayer for our worship service. That we wouldn't come to this worship service saying, more me. I don't like this song. You don't like that song. I don't like Bible studies done this way. I don't like Pastor Jeff not being available at this time. This is about saying it's not about me. It's about God and His glory. It's about the gathered church. It's about us as a people helping each other to have broken and contrite spirits before a holy God. That we may grow together, weep together, laugh together, bearing with one another. Because I need... You need to bear with me. I mean, come on, look at me. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, do you feel this prayer request a little more? God must act to fulfill this promise. He must revive the hearts of men. If men are going to set his name apart as holy they have to be regenerated they have to be changed and so we pray for the salvation of men we pray for those in authority over us for the conviction of sin for the gospel to take root we pray for this because we see marriage desecrated with two men or two women and we see God's name profaned and we pray against that we pray this passage we pray because human sexuality has been thrown on its head and people are mutilating their bodies with surgical procedures because they're not willing to be broken and contrite before the Lord. They're not glorifying God as their creator. They're profaning the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, help them! Help them. Save them. And so we pray, hallowed be thy name. And babies are ripped apart in the womb at the convenience of freedom and God's name is profaned. And so we pray, hallowed be thy name. Lord, we, our families, are content with apathy, entertaining ourselves to death, in love with the world, no different from the world, seeking comfort in our wealth, building an empire ourselves. And so we pray, hallowed be thy name. So this is a prayer for repentance and revival, not only to the heathen nations, not only to the apostate church that we like to rip on, but this is a prayer for Grace Community Bible Church for our families and for our very lives and the pursuits that we pursue that we would recognize the glory of God that sets the rudder for all other aspects of our prayer life and our relationship with God. This is a serious request. One that has laid me down to the bone spiritually. May God act to answer the cry of our hearts because it is that our words, as Alistair Begg said, would be hallowed be thy name. That our worship as a church would be hallowed be thy name. That our witness would be purified. That we would not profane his name in Lakeville. And it starts not with the apostate church, not with those God-forsaken nations. It starts with us. And so I think the Heidelberg Catechism has this pretty much right on. After I studied it, quotes, Hallowed be your name means to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. End quotes. And so we pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, you, oh, Jesus says, you want to know? Father, 
hallowed be thy name. Lord, thank you for the, your prayer and for how you're so patient with us to teach us these things. Just like the disciples were clueless, sinful, saved children. But Lord, it is our desire and our delight that we would become more and more like you and that we would commune with you in prayer. Teach us, Lord, to pray for thy glory. And may we start for a prayer that your name would be set apart on this earth. And so the next prayer request makes sense, does it not? Let your kingdom come. Father, as we come now to the Lord's table, and if I could have the men and musicians get in place now as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's table, move right into that. Let's, I'll continue to pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We recognize in uh, the Lord's table that you are here. Uh, Christ is here in the Holy Spirit and we fellowship with him and we are powerfully then through his spirit reminded of the past work of Christ, reminded of the present responsibilities of following Christ and maybe even brought to, Lord, a place of repentance, even thinking about our own lives, how maybe we're struggling in some way profaning your name and we want to honor you so we come to that time of repentance. But then also, not only looking to the past and looking at the present, but we have set our eyes on the finish line, the hope of the glory of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. It's all here, and it's all because of Jesus. So help us now to reflect on these things, and may you work in our lives, and make us not to forget this message, but make us not to be just hearers of the word. But Lord, by your Spirit, revive us to be doers also, that we might put you on display, that we might sanctify Christ as Lord of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.